They were called nasties and they were nasty. Some of the things that we've seen are so horrific. These films not only affect young people, but I believe they affect dogs as well. An extravaganza of gory violence, capable of depraving and corrupting those who watched it. I have never seen a video, mister. I wouldn't. I actually don't need to see what I know is in that film. And welcome back to another episode of Doing the Nasty Podcast. This is season two, episode number eight, I think. Sounds about right. Yep, it's eight. Eight, thanks. Mark, you, you will keep me right from now on. That is that is your main job. Your main job is to make sure we find the movies we can't find and keep me right on what the episode numbers are. And to tell me Done. I'm wrong, because I'm wrong a lot. So what I found Duncan, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're so wrong, Duncan. Um, like I saw uh, last night, um, the night before this recording, ladies and gents, uh, Dim were doing their live stream twenty was it a quarter quarter century throwdown is what they called it, but it's twenty five years since they released their first album, Nola, which is one of the greatest kind of southern sludge doom albums of all time and oh, yeah. doing, they were playing it live in its entirety and um, my my buddy Dave got me one of these online tickets for it so had it up on the big TV was sitting and we were doing a Google Hangout chatting to each other and um, in the middle of the set they started throwing in a couple of songs from down too um, and I'm like that you know I mean I might be wrong in saying this but I think down two is the their best album and the the Disgust in his face, Mark. It, it was almost immeasurable. Um, it, like, and then I suddenly realised, I think I do that a lot. I think I like just my opinions on directors' best movies, um, bands' best albums is always counterculture. It's always not what the general consensus is at all. So, yeah, I'm very used to just being told you're wrong, Duncan. <laughs> you're a contrarian by nature. I don't know. But I don't think I set out to be. Like I think no, I'm an ac- I, don't think you do. I think I'm an accidental contrarian. <laughs> I think yeah. I just stumble into it. Um I don't know. I don't know. And we'll find out if, if any of our opinions gel tonight on the, the two movies that we're gonna discuss. But before we get to that on episode number eight, it's always great to check in with you, buddy. Um every time we do one of these shows, an another kind of cosmic dump has been levelled right in our face um, as a people, as a as a species, as a world. Um, so, how are you doing? <laughs> are things getting better? Is is what I need to know. No. No, that's yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm 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 doing okay, relatively. I don't know. Work has been fucking stupid, but yeah, for for like catastrophes occurring during the month that this one's recorded, it's. Mm. Uh, the, the, the protests have continued, and now there's, like, 17-year-old white supremacists wandering the streets with assault rifles fucking killing people. So. Yeah, just shooting people and, and getting patted on the back as they leave. I mean, that's... Yep, that's that's, that's fun. I hope that kid gets the fucking gas chamber, but we'll see what happens. These things tend to not shake out great in our country, but... Um, mm. Yeah, so that 
fucking sucks. It's it's like the end of summer over here. It's like starting to. It was a, higher elevations where I'm at. We're supposed to get fucking snow this weekend. I don't know if they did or not. Jesus. But like I'm like I'm not ready for winter to be over or for summer to be over. I fucking went camping like where I didn't do like hardly anything. I went to a bar for the first time in like five or six months. The other night, How was that? Uh, I got supremely fucking drunk, and it was, <laughs> You're making up for it, it. It was uh, I don't know. It it wasn't really like it was like business as usual. I think that was what was weirder than anything. Like the bar wasn't really like yeah. there wasn't a ton of people there, but they weren't making a big deal out of like people staying away from each other. I think like really the only precaution they had is like the the staff was wearing masks, but other than that, it was yeah. business as usual, which seemed weird to me. I don't know, but yeah, I got really, really fucking drunk and uh, remembered why I sometimes go into the bar with a bunch of money is not such a great idea, but yeah, that's uh, that's, that's another story. <laughs> I, it gave me the opportunity yesterday to just kind of sit around hungover and dive into these two movies that we're going to be talking about, but... Uh, oh God, do you watch these hungover? A little bit. Like, I, I, start, I started Nightmare <laughs> City a couple nights ago and uh, like got about halfway into it maybe and yesterday I went looking for mafia or a massacre mafia style and uh actually yeah. well I mean we'll get to that but uh anyway yeah yeah, yeah besides that I mean I've been yeah, just kind of hanging out watching a bunch of movies I watched 13 assassins for the first time a couple of weeks ago oh uh, maybe once again being the contrarian I think that's the best Mickey movie. It's definitely <laughs> one of my favorites of his that I've ever seen, and I think is like the it's most. Inc- it's absolutely fucking incredible. It's, like from start to finish, it's like a different. Like, see if you watch that movie and the happiness of the Katakuras together, and see that's the same director, your mind would explode like in scanners. Well, <laughs> You're like, what? Well, I did a double feature of that in Blade of the Immortal just because I was on like a. Oh, which is also kick. amazing. Yeah, those are both like I think two of his best movies by far. Does he have any other like old timey samurai? Kind of movies that I'm missing. Uh, yes, he did, um, and it's somewhere in my collection, and I can't put my hand on it just now. In fact, this will make for good listening. Just you hold on one second, <laughs> Mark. Go get it. And people are going to, people are going to hear me pitter pat about. <laughs> so let's do this. Uh, where are you, you son of a bitch? Hang in there, listeners. I'm sure he'll 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 be right back. In the meantime, keep talking to them. Uh, if you're not a member of the uh, the Doing the Nasty Face group, Facebook group, you might want to jump over in there. Uh, it's a bunch of summer series episodes finally dropping for the Teapot's uh, top 20 of the 2000s over there. My, one of the episodes I was on came out a little while ago. Every one of those has been super heartbreaking so far. There's always at least one part of it where it's like, damn, I got a little tense for a minute and somebody's, somebody's going home sad. But uh, yeah, go over and check those out. Uh, Big shout out to our friends over on the Video Nasty Project on the YouTubes. I believe that's... I'm pretty sure that's Tony. Uh, Literally can't see this motherfucker. <laughs> uh, that's annoying. Uh, so he did one right after 13 Assassins. Um, or right before 13 Assassins. One of the two. And it's... Uh, it's kind of like a... Not, not quite a Rashomon, but it's, it's kind of like a vengeance story told from different perspectives. Right. And why can't I see it? It's really, really good. It's got a lot of the cast from Thirteen Assassins, which makes me think he made it. In, he made it in or around um, the same time, and it is worth checking out. It's not as good as Thirteen Assassins by any stretch of the imagination, right. but it's it's very solidly done. Um, 
quite well put together and owes more, like 13 Assassins does at times, owes more to um, Kurosawa than it does necessarily Miki's back catalogue. But the beautiful thing about 13 Assassins is it's still very much uh, a kind of Miki movie. Like when you watch the like the amputated woman mm-hmm. who like stump crawls over to write, you know, like uh, Total Massacre <laughs> with her with her teeth. Like, but that is like right from fucking audition, uh-huh. man. Honestly, it is so fucking brutal to watch. Like she's like fucking gagging on on this paintbrush, and then when he holds that up, like <laughs> like when the, the, the like the the, the kind of princes there with all his guards and they're at the top after like the village all closes off and he stands up and opens the bit of paper and she says total massacre and you're like fucking yes you know, that movie's full of moments <laughs> like that where you just want to stand up and fucking cheer like that and yeah it's got just enough Mike signature weirdness to kind of elevate it like above like I don't know like other like big big sword yeah. epic that movie feels just so fucking epic it feels it feels and looks like it costs like 200 million dollars and I bet it wasn't didn't cost anywhere fucking oh, near yeah. that it's, it's Mickey, so it probably didn't cost as much as you think nope. there's a, another great like kind of like you see there's a scene where um <laughs> Fucking! There's one of the guys falls on a, a like a bomb or something, and then explodes. And then on the other side of a building, the, there's just like a shower of blood. <laughs> it's like <laughs> fucking <laughs> so much blood. And just like this is why I love cinema. Like genuinely, this is why I love like just for moments like that. Um, so yeah. Oh no, I'm glad. To, hey, see if it, that's that's the perfect hangover movie. You know, because I mean? you start that kind of groggy, hungover, so there's a lot of story and exposition. Yep. And then by the time you're starting to feel a bit better, just people are getting torn apart by songs. Oh, yeah. I mean, I- well, the last, like, good 45 <laughs> minutes of that thing is just, like, one of the most epic, fucking gory, bloody, insane battles I've ever seen put oh, yeah. to film. And yeah, it's, yeah, I wish I hadn't waited so long to watch that movie because it was so fucking good. Oh man, but now you've ticked off the list. I think that's the beauty of those sort of movies, isn't it? Like I've I've got a I bought it when it came out. I actually saw it in the cinema. Um I saw it in the small indie theatre in in, um, in Edinburgh when it came out. And it then got a, a very limited run and me and the aforementioned Dave who got the down ticket um went to see it and we both kinda sat in awe of this movie, even more so me the second time. And then I bought it. I think maybe of all Mickey's movies, it's the one I've watched the most. I've easily watched it about fifteen times. Right. It's like like maybe once a year or maybe twice a year. You get me in the right mood. Uh, it's kind of late at night. It's a couple of whiskeys flowing. I'm gonna shove. I'm gonna shove on some. I'm gonna either watch a horrible war documentary, uh, or I'm gonna watch Thirteen Assassins. Either or. So. But yeah, that's just me. That's just me. That is how I roll. Things have been quiet on the, the old McLeish end, uh, if I'm honest. Uh, not a ton of things happening over here except that summer series, which, by golly, um, none of those episodes are under five hours. And yeah, you're on two. They are be- beasts of episodes <laughs> to get through. <laughs> you're on two of those, Mark, so yay. <laughs> yep. And yeah, every episode so far that I've listened to has at least one part where like there's like this show kind of comes to a standstill. We're like, well, fuck, I guess we got to do this. Yeah, <laughs> the thing is, like the the general quality of of movies, 
it's weird. Like I always, I didn't always write off the two thousands off the bat, but I always had that kind of feeling that two thousands horror was all about what was happening everywhere except America. So like yeah. America just kind of fell into this kind of just remake cycle, which. And it did to an extent, but there's so many interesting American horror movies from an indie perspective that it's almost it's almost inevitable that the 2010s had this huge boom of kind of indie horror films and directors and this kind of new wave of directors that started to appear because the groundwork's being laid there. Yeah, all the big movies that are coming out are your you know Platinum Dunes remakes for sure but there's a ton of people just working away in the background honing their craft really releasing quirky little movies here and there and um, I think that's been the fun part of it is just realising how dense some of those those years and that decade actually are for incredible horror but it also means that you get three different hosts on that episode along with me from with three different like kind of age experiences, mm-hmm. cultural experiences, then you sit us down, and then yeah, there's going to be that bit where someone says something like, "Well, House of a Thousand Corpses is a masterpiece," and I'm like, "Is it fuck? You know, like, <laughs> like, is it? Is it really? You know, like, like we, we go, we're going to get to that, but I think it speaks to to different tastes and different age groups as well. It's like that way where kind of people that are younger than me and I you know I, I'll start raving about how a movie like Night of the Creeps is fucking incredible and you know everyone should see it and all the rest and then maybe like a, like an 18 year old sits down and watches Night of the Creeps and goes ah, it's kind of shitty and I'm like you slut you know like, just like <laughs> full of rage and anger but I can kind of see where they're coming from and like when I start to get older and then those movies which I find a bit boring are a bit crass, you know, just like for need's sake, which is Rob Zombie's entire dialogue experience. Um, yeah. And then I sit and I watch and I start putting, they're like, but they're the right age group for that movie. So as a result, it becomes their Night of the Creeps, if you know what I mean. So um, it's, it's been interesting doing that sort of thing, but almost every episode thus far has had a kind of, you know, like we're drawing our swords at midnight and dueling to the death. <laughs> Has it like and I, I've kind of I've kind of enjoyed that thus far of the episodes that have dropped. There is only one year where my top two picks have went through, and I want to say that only happens another twice throughout the series. Where I think on one episode neither one of my top two picks goes through. I'm just like, what the fuck am I doing this for? What am yeah. I doing this for? So yeah, it's fun. It's fun, but it's it's so time consuming, which is why some of these. Um, Teapot's Collective series episodes are, are essentially a late kind of release almost a week beyond when they're originally penned in just because I need to get these shows done and out and then everything can return to regularly scheduled broadcasting mark it's as simple as that yeah it's it uh, that's why it's called the summer series is because it takes like all of us for sure all of the summer to do duncan's working on this fucker all the way back at like the beginning of the year january end of last year yeah january so. is when i kick it off so um so yeah it takes it's a labor of love it is like everyone the the cool thing from my perspective is every year it's got bigger in terms of more listeners are checking it out i get more feedback i make it more complicated for myself but it's got yep. to the point now that podcasters like that I respect and admire are messaging me saying if there is any spaces for next year 
please, like, <laughs> please put me in, tag me in, coach, uh, or if there's anything I can do to help. Because it's become this weird little, everyone, like, it's arduous and it's at times stressful and you want to shout at people and not speak to them ever again for making silly decisions. <laughs> but it is the most fun. Like, once you get to the end of it, once that final episode drops and you look back, it is an incredible achievement for all involved, whether you're just uh, like, I was saying just an adjudicator whether you're an adjudicator on the People's Council through to being one of the hosts or or what your involvement is like the, the experience it's more the experience now from my perspective of like the fun that I have throughout the whole season in the background than it is necessarily even about watching the movies now, that's just the cherry on top so it is, yeah, it's a ton of, it's a ton of fun and we'll see, we'll see where it goes I genuinely don't know what's going to top the the top five uh, at the end of it like this time I I have not a fucking clue and every other year I've known roughly what the top three will be but I have no idea what the top five will be this time at all yeah that that fucking list is all over the place <laughs> it's like, so I, random <laughs> so. there's I think there's only well and I I did pretty good because I think there's only like four on the final list that I haven't seen that I got to go back and watch before I put together my final list everything That's else I, I, I've and a lot of it I d- I've managed to get rewatches and like this this year because yeah I did the two episodes and then I was an adjudicator on one of them so I watched all yeah. those too so yeah um, you, you managed to you managed to kill off a couple which is pretty good um, but yeah it'll be, it will be gen- it'll be genuinely fun to hear how wildly disparate all those voted lists are at the end because I think yep. I can't imagine many lists being alike at all and that that kind of makes it fun because then we can really start getting into the I can't believe you think this movie's top 10 it's a lot of shit <laughs> um, so those are those are my favourite conversations uh, speaking of a load of shit um, and I'm not saying they are but maybe they are I'm not saying they are but we'll have fun talking about them we have two movies that we have to discuss on episode number 8 now Granted, if you're listening right now in the UK, you probably found it very difficult to find 1974's Massacre Mafia style. If that is the case in the UK, uh, drop me a little message on Facebook and I will hook you up uh, to sail treacherous waters and enter the Bermuda Triangle to get me a copy because uh, it's never been released in the UK and it's only proper I want to say kind of digital release was through Grindhouse releases uh, so that's region locked uh, however I believe Mark had better luck sourcing stateside yeah in the states it's on Tubi with ads and it is that uh, Grindhouse release that's been like cleaned up it's a gorgeous print of this movie yeah. I mean obviously this thing was shot with like pretty cheapo film stock but yeah the one that's on 2b like it, it's worth sitting through the commercials because it is that grindhouse release and it looks beautiful so uh yeah i didn't realize 2b wasn't a thing over over nope. across the pond that's that's unfortunate because man i have found a shitload of these video nasty movies on there and like they've got like a real good deal with uh, like all of the little little smaller labels, I think, because there's a bunch of this shit on there. That's that <laughs> sucks. That might be worth getting a VPN over if you can get yeah. the fucking Tubi hookup because they are yeah they're they're kind of killing it and it's free, which is a huge fucking plus. Yeah, I managed to track it down uh, online, but via its alternate name. Um, so I think if you search for uh, Massacre Mafia style you will struggle, there's plenty of references to it and there's plenty of um, 
links if you know what I mean to get said movie but if you search for uh, like father like son I had a lot more joy with that and it was relatively quick to pick up also in um, 720 so that must be the grindhouse one as well so because the print was pretty fucking immaculate so it must be that one that's been ripped up there Uh, so yeah if anyone's looking for that um, Nightmare City in the UK released through Arrow uh, Arrow Video released it fucking years ago, um, so I, I owned that, so that was kind of easy to get. I don't know if it's available on the Arrow Video channel, and I would imagine well, it's been released in America. One of the labels must appear in America. Uh, one of the ones that'll be your kind of Blue Undergrounds or something is likely to have done that one. Yeah, I forget which one, but I got a nice looking Blu-ray yeah. for like about fifteen bucks on the way from Amazon right now. Yeah. I, I found kind of a scummy copy of it on YouTube, which to was be honest, that's probably the best way to watch Mark. <laughs> I think it was a VHS rip because it was like, well, no, because it was in widescreen format. It might just be a really shitty old DVD rip of it, but yeah, it's on the YouTube's and it's complete completeness if you go looking yeah. for it. <laughs> so that's our two movies Nightmare City so we're finally getting a chance to include a little bit of Umberto Lenzi on the nasty list which does my heart so good um, hell yeah I have such a soft spot for Umberto Lenzi um, who sadly I think played into the the joke uh, that he was just a, a kind of rip off merchant when you actually look at his career pre doing um at Ferox, uh, Cannibal Ferox, uh, is littered with some incredible giallos, which, I mean, are just uh, so beautiful to look at. But a lot of people forget that he was the first one to direct an Italian cannibal movie, like a decade before Cannibal Holocaust. So when people are like, oh, you just rip it, what well, he is, like, that's the thing. It's difficult not to hold the argument. He's clearly ripping off Cannibal Holocaust and Cannibal Ferox. And when he says he hasn't seen that movie, he's a fucking liar, right? That's, 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 that's obvious. But I think you can cut him a bit of, a bit of slack. Um, that you know he didn't he done he done them before. A uh, man from Deep River, I think, is the the first one, and that is an Umberto Lenzi movie. So yeah, that's our two movies we're going to discuss. Couldn't be wildly different if they tried. Yep. One is a kind of zombie movie, <laughs> kinda. kinda. kinda interesting zombies in this one, and that they know how to work weaponry indoors. Um, and the other one is a massacre mafia style from '74. And uh, oh, so much things to say about this movie. So um, I think what we'll do is we'll kick in with Massacre uh, Mafia style because I, I, like I'm bursting to talk about this movie. Uh, I can't all fucking wait. It's a lot of fucking nonsense, uh, but in the best possible way. And so so preachy, so preachy. Um, and uh, so we're gonna take a break. You're gonna hear uh, those learned people talk about this. I have no idea what they're gonna say about this movie. It could be kind of incredible though. And when we return, we will be discussing after the trailer, obviously, Massacre Mafia style from 1974. Myself and Mark Ball coming right back right after this. We have here one of my all-time favorite films, uh, Massacre Mafia style, or also known as The Executioner, but it was also known as Like Father, Like Son. It had more than one release in the UK. This is from the Hello Video release. Uh, my personal favourite is the Videotapes release, which has a terrific cover, really lurid, really trying to tempt the viewer to buy the video or rent the video. The film has a fairly interesting story. Duke Mitchell was a lounge entertainer who did songs in the style of 
Sinatra and Dean Martin. He was actually with Sammy Petrillo, did a double act and appeared in a few black and white movies. But his real dream was to direct a gangster movie of his own. In fact, after The Godfather, he was determined to direct a gangster film that told the truth about the mafia. The script for Massacre Mafia Style is based on mainly stories he heard during his time as a Las Vegas entertainer. And the thing about Duke was that he put his money where his mouth was. So he used all of his money to finance this film. And the end result is fairly fantastic. It's like a very grindhouse version of The Godfather. It's pretty much the same story. It's about Mimi, who tries to not get involved in the mafia, uh, but it finds himself more and more deeply ingrained. And it's a lot of violent set pieces. There is a fairly spectacular scene where a pimp is crucified. And there's uh, hangings and meat hooks, which are very, very violent. Duke Mitchell was actually fairly good friends with the Vegas set. Sinatra's son um, and Duke Mitchell's son used to play tennis all the time and Sinatra used to visit him. And in fact, Sinatra was one of the pallbearers at his funeral. And so he was all part of that um, Rat Pack set, but he was never a major member or anything. But I think one of the things that separates Duke was that he really, really wanted to get these films made. And he sold and raised funds anywhere he can because he truly believed that he was telling mafia the way the mafia should be known, um, especially in Massacre Mafia styles. He has a monologue near the end of the film, which is the plight of the Italian immigrant in the US. And okay, the delivery is not great, but the words are truly heartfelt. And when Duke's delivering them, you really feel the emotion come through. And it's actually, regardless of how corny or hoard it is, is one of my favorite bits of cinema. The film didn't have much of a release history, unfortunately. It didn't do very well at the cinemas. It's probably on section three list because of not only the violence, but there's also a lot of derogatory language. In fact, the film is full of monologues by the main character, which are sometimes self-pitying and sometimes fairly racist. There's two trailers for the film. Uh, both of them set the music. The second one, it's actually set to a track composed by Jeffrey Mitchell, Duke's son, who's a musician who also lived extensively in London and played with a few rock and roll bands. The first one is set to an Italian tune and it's actually one of Duke's own tunes. Uh, the one he used to sing on stage, not he composed, of course. And it is a tracking shot of him and his best friend in the film walking through causing havoc and mayhem. And it makes for a fantastic viewing. Anyone who sees that trailer is bound to want to see the film. It'd be almost impossible not to. The Duke also did one more film, Gone with the Pope, which was never finished. In fact, the reels were left in his um, cupboard when he died. But these were recently um, edited together by Bob Moravsky, who's a big fan of Duke Mitchell. And he has been touring the film all over America. So we might finally get to see what Gone with the Pope was like. Round and round while we're dancing, my heart makes us glad that we're living today. Each time I feel like romancing, my heart always goes tick-a-tee, tick-a-tee. Round and round while we're dancing, my heart makes us glad that we're living today. Each time I feel like romancing, my heart always goes tick-a-tee,
Welcome back. So, you've just heard the trailer for uh, Massacre Mafia Style. I keep wanting to say Mafia Massacre Style. Uh, Me too. Which is, yeah, just my brain is not working today at all. This is directed by and starring Duke Mitchell in the main role of Mimi Michelli. Okay. I think he wrote and produced this movie too. Oh, he's, he just fucking he, did everything on he this. He is the guy, right? His, his hands are everywhere on this movie. The synopsis for it, as listed on IMDb, is Mimi Michelli Jr. is the son of a mafia don who was exiled back to Sicily. He wants to get back into the family business and transplant it from New York to Hollywood. After kidnapping for ransom, uh, one of the West Coast Mafia boss's sons, Mimi, is back in the life, quote-unquote. With the blessing of a local clan, Mimi attempts to take down a Hollywood pimp named Super Spook. Yes, this is a real thing. Uh, who turns who turns out to be no easy mark. That is not necessarily doing remotely any justice to the insane Sicilian politics going on in this Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's like a tiny little section of this movie. We're just glossing over everything fucking else. Um, so, yeah, I had never even heard of this movie before. Like, even remotely. I've ne- I'd never seen it, never heard it. Well, obviously, never seen never heard of it. But I have never heard anyone speak about it. I had never seen any clips of this movie that have bled into... You know, outrageous scenes that you must just, you know, all these things that you see when you're a horror fan and people link you to videos like, name the 10 clips, you know, like none of that has yeah. ever happened here. Uh, and I sat down to watch this movie and it finished and I was, I was kind of dumbstruck. Now, the reason I say that is it is a, a fucking bollock here of an hour and 20 minutes long. So this is not a long movie. Yet I felt like I had lived several lifetimes throughout <laughs> uh, like uh, this movie is like so fucking crammed with with dialogue narration needless narration which is the best bit there's no explanation for the needless narration either like at all no one explains why we're getting like a case file read out of all these like mafia people around a table in one scene and then no one else in the movie 
Like, we don't get that again. So that's, like, not a technique that recurs. That's just for that segment. Um, but we are essentially following, not chronologically speaking, the the kind of rise of this wannabe sort of mafia guy whose dad is the, the kind of head honcho who has lots of respect and all the rest, but is currently stuck in Sicily and to do this he's gonna give up his newly born son to be looked after his dad um, and you know travel to Hollywood to kind of set up things and the the thing about this movie is it opens with a scene of like the most ridiculous kind of we're going <laughs> we two hitmen are going to go in and wipe out this office building um, one, of, one of the kills is that they take a guy who is stuck in a wheelchair and feel him into the toilet, put his foot in the urine, urinal and then plug in like an electric lamp or something and electrocute him through the water in the urinal, <laughs> which might be the most creative kill I've ever fucking seen in a movie. I, like, I, it boggled my mind that someone come up with that. Like, someone thought this was a good idea. But essentially, he, um, I'm going to skip through this because there's a lot of plot to get through and it's a very short movie and I, I really want to kind of get my teeth stuck into um, how something like this even exists uh, but yeah so basically we cut to before that when he's just arrived so he's leaving his, his kid with his dad uh, his dad kind of warns him against it we get the impression that he's he's kind of green you know he's not, as his dad would say he's got no blood on his hands he's kind of a good kid and he's going to go out to America against his, his father's wishes um, his initial thing is tracking down uh, his comrade from the beginning of the movie who <laughs> it's fucking terrible um, says to him meets him at a bar and says to him he pretends that he because like, I didn't know that this was before I don't know if that was obvious I don't know if I blinked and missed a bit where it said five it like years a- earlier there was like a cold open. I don't think there was anything that said it was earlier. I think it's just like a cold open that takes place, you know, like in the middle of the movie, and then it re- rewinds and gives us all of our backstory and him like yeah, kind of getting there. Because yeah, because I didn't know we'd rewind. I just assumed that he'd done this hit and then went to settle down. Um, yeah, I didn't either. I didn't either. So, but the thing is, like, because I thought like he's obviously shaves off the mustache and his hair's a bit darker, and I actually did think like he's obviously getting out of the life's good for him because he looks a bit younger and he meets this guy <laughs> in the bar and the guy like is like that I've not seen you in what, like 10 years or something I'm like well he hasn't like, he's a fucking adult you would remember how he looks right 10 years like Mark if I met you and then met you 10 years later as an adult I would still fucking know what you look like um, right. but he's like he's like if, and then this was the hint that kind of well it didn't actually help me at all because I, I still stumbled around and fucking uh, I lost stupor of what we did here for about half an hour after the scene but he says if anything you look younger and I'm like he does look younger is this set before like I just I couldn't I couldn't wrap my head around what the fuck was going on at all like even a little bit 
And when I had I had some uh, foxy brown hangover, and I thought maybe they were implying that he'd had facial reconstructive surgery at oh, some point to hide his identity because he had gotten out of it for so long. But no, that's that's not what they were doing. Nope. I, don't, I don't know what the hell they were doing. And they've they've, they've uh, dyed his hair a little bit, shaved the mustache off, and he's younger now. Um, they should have implied that the two of them hadn't seen each other in like twenty or thirty years. Because yeah, the thing about the ten years, like what you said, makes perfect sense. Ten years is not that fucking long and I look relatively the same as I did 10 years ago now 20 or 30 years ago is a little bit different like I think that's what they meant to say maybe yeah. I don't know what I, what I wanted from this is a bit of a Dylan you son of a bitch yep. what's the matter the CIA got you pushing too many pencils you know, this, this is, is like what... the bad Italian stereotype version of that well this movie is full of bad Italian stereotypes them to a wedding where the wedding singer just sings about spaghetti and pizza yep yep I don't yep. like I... <laughs> what we're we doing here <laughs> I actually was fucking mortified I wanted that I wanted my couch to swallow me up because like, this is the cringiest <laughs> fucking thing ever. But, like, we're going to get into it because they're so very funny. Like, this is almost mandatory viewing, right? This, is t- this to me, is the first movie that I've seen where I'm like, the video nasties is giving me what I want because there are so many of this sort of movie on the tier one and tier two list where you're watching it going, who fucking made <laughs> Who the yep. fuck made this movie? But, so, yeah, so he they kidnap this uh, mafia... Don's son who I'm just going to call Screech because that's literally what it looked like from Saved by the Bell <laughs> like like it like literally had like the, the, the Screech afro and then um, yep. they kidnap him um, well no they don't kidnap they kidnap the dad and then the Don chop his finger off and send it to the son and basically say if you don't pay this exorbitant amount of money your dad won't be there for your wedding which they they duly do and then at the wedding he just shows up and everyone knows him. Oh, it's Mimi. Let's this fucking get you fucking. You're like, you, you're good, you. You know, like, like walking around shaking everyone's hands and all the rest. And basically, it's always forgiven for the chop up of this guy's finger. And he's now made the right hand man of this kind of mafia don who really is out of his depth straight away because Mimi goes around just killing everyone. And then they mm. try and rein him in. And then instead of trying to rein him in, they then put him out to do like hits on people which he then goes and does and this word gets back to his dad I'm going to skip through a bit of this because this is where all the tedious stuff happens although it's still fucking amazing um, his dad finds out that his son's now this killer and uh, his dad's not happy because this isn't the life that he wanted for him and he sends his henchman through there to slap him about the face which happens in a scene which is fucking hilarious it's like it was like Star Wars the original series fighting all that we're missing was like slap like it's totally fucking terrible and then this all eventually leads up to a bit of a spat between the kind of current Don who whose finger he chopped off earlier and Mimi this escalates into an orgy of violence as he would say and that leads us to the opening scene where Mimi decides to clean house. So him and his accomplice uh, do a massive hit on all these different operations and, you know, wipe out. Well, it was all the dudes that were, like, going to stab him in the back, basically. Yeah. He's like, they're, they're, we're all going to turn on me. So I just fucking killed everyone. So he kills everyone. Like, like this is the corruption of the American 
life that his dad was telling him about. Um, his his best friend dies. Um, is killed after being shown a <laughs> and a shade of like something like from Theater of Blood. Um, but instead of served as fucking poodle at a restaurant, yeah, it's been l- literally that scene. Murdered. He's literally that scene, um, and then he's kind of killed. <laughs> Mimi gets over this really quick. There's a bit too much of him kissing his best friend on the mouth in this movie. Which yeah, I mean, there's a few, there's a bit of that. I am fine with two men kissing on screen, but it just it, they didn't start doing it until like halfway through the movie, and I don't know, <laughs> you know, I was like, when did this relationship go to this level? Um, and yeah, ultimately things get too heavy for Mimi, who then travels back home now, like aged horribly. Uh, but then it has been quite a few years because his baby son is now an adult boy um, right. or an adult man. He goes back to his dad and basically tells his dad that he doesn't want him to go back and listen and this is the big exposition this is the like I think Duke Mitchell winking at the screen going like that I know how things are now in 1974 the politicians are the mafia and you know people don't pay for sex anymore because people just give sex out in the street because all that fucking free love shit and the kids you, are all on dope they're all on dope and you know pimps now control everything and where there was gangs of Irish and Polish and all that before it's now black gangs that run the street and you know the world's different dad and you need to understand that we need to get out now and live the quiet life and his dad's like no I'm a mafia don <laughs> like, yep. he's saying let's go and share bread at the table uh, where he's then executed by his son uh, whose dad With a has a four barreled shotgun a four barreled shotgun out doing anything that could be potentially done by phantasm um, <laughs> by what like a decade or something and um, they, they preempted it Don Coscarelli will steal this idea from Massacre Mafia style I'm sure um, like Coscarelli would be like fucking 14 when this movie came out or something um, or maybe a bit older maybe 16 or 17 but yeah so uh, and then we get the kind of nod wink reveal at the end and basically um Mimi's dad has kind of been grooming his grandson uh, as his successor while yep. Mimi's been away causing all this as the Wu-Tang clan would say ruckus um, he brought shame to the clan he brought and then, shame yeah, he, he, he paid dearly for it yeah he got shot in front of uh, all his friends and family in Sicily who all have the greatest reactions ever to someone being massacred in front of them um, <laughs> it's just it's the, and it's all done in slow motion it's fucking incredible uh, this movie is to see mess as an understatement but by god is this an entertaining mess like this movie is all over the place like from start to finish this movie is all over the place it does not know whether it wants to be the godfather whether it wants to be some like kind of high octane sort of uh, not noir noir's the wrong word but there's a kind of noirish mystery element to it as well in the background of like all the players and who they're involved with um, but it doesn't know if it wants to be a mafia movie a grindhouse kind of gnarly grindhouse exploitation movie whether it wants to kind of be you know just a, an, an all out kind of blood fest um, or what it wants to be and as a result of that it doesn't do any of them well at all but I will be lying Mark Ball if I said I didn't laugh almost all the way through this fucking movie which I don't think is Duke Mitchell's intention at all <laughs> but it is it is tantamount 
to fucking hilarious. I will say this in advance though, um, it is a 1974 movie, so there are racial words flung around here which time has not been uh, kind to at all in that they should have probably known better in 1974, but this is not the most egregious example and I dare say won't be um, in the movies that we watch, so the, the end nah. bomb has dropped a few times, and there's a couple of other racial slang words flung around as if they're nothing in the script. Um, the Jews don't come out well in this movie. <laughs> like, no. There's a whole whole lot of kind of anti-Semitic sort of conspiracy going on here. We're two seconds away from them mentioning the Bilderbergs, the Illuminati, and globalism. <laughs> uh, I get a feeling that maybe a very young Alex Jones watched this movie, and it had a massive impact on his life. Um, and yeah, I. But what it does do really well is just this ludicrous idea of how the world works and how the mafia works. Because I don't think for one second this is how the world works, especially in the 70s, or how the mafia works. I think the only thing they kind of get right is that you don't fuck with a pimp. <laughs> That's, that should be the enduring message here. Not never betray your, your, your clan, your mafia clan or father don or anything like that in your pursuit of power it should just be never fuck with a pimp because this guy this guy like this guy brings a knife to a gunfight and he still looks terrifying <laughs> one of the scenes brings in a flick knife and he comes in with a gun and he doesn't back down them like that you don't fuck with a pimp never fuck with a pimp Mark Ball um, give me give me you watched this yesterday then yes well, <laughs> hungover yeah, at least a little bit. So, and real quick, before I get to what I thought of this movie, I think the answer to what this movie wanted to be lies in some of the old advertising that I found for this. Uh, it's basically advertising itself as the most violent movie ever made and the movie that makes The Godfather look like, I don't know, a fucking sissy lala fucking kind of movie or something. Um <laughs> Which is hilarious because uh, yeah, the, there there's some awful, horrible, fucked up shit in all of the Godfather movies. But oh yeah, uh, I I think the reason this movie feels so dense and all over the place is because they literally tried to cram three Godfathers worth of fucking story oh, God, into yeah. a ninety minute movie made by people way more incompetent than uh, Francis Ford Coppola or fucking. There's lo- lots of shades of Scorsese movies and shit like, you know... Older, yeah, this is this guy's well, entire adult life in an hour and 20 minutes. We cover three yeah. time frames in this movie, and it's... I mean, it's 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 done at breakneck speed, if you know what I mean. Like, for an hour yeah. and 20 minutes, a movie like this shouldn't be... Well, a movie like this should be an hour and 20 minutes, but a movie in the genre of explaining someone's rise to power and their eventual downfall is usually a two-hour movie. Well, and that's why, yeah, and that's why it makes like such giant leaps in time, and without any sort of real explanation as to uh, how much time has passed in it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And yeah, there's some shit that's confusing about it. But um, I fucking loved this movie. <laughs> I yes, absolutely adored this movie right from the the hold open where they're just fucking gunning people down left and right and you get that weird like, that there's old... one guy there's one scene mark where he jumps over a table and he shoots his gun up into the ceiling but the guy standing in front of him gets shot <laughs> and I was I mean, like they, they this is amazing I'm sure that's, that's like I'm sure all the victims in that scene the people that are getting shot is probably largely like the production crew where they're like oh, uh, yeah. we need you for one shot where we put a squib on you and it blows up and you 
you get you get you fall down dead basically like mm -hmm. there are there are hundreds of shots of people being being fucking gunned down in this movie <laughs> like not not just in the opening but like and we'll we'll get to that's that's one way that this is kind of similar to Nightmare City is that like I, I think if you sat down and counted how many camera setups there are in both of these movies, mm -hmm. it's in the thousands. Like, oh yeah, it's, especially Nightmare City, it's fucking insane. But uh, yeah, I really, really, really dug this movie, and I'm gonna be really bummed if there's not at least one more like weird old gangster movie like this on the nasty <laughs> list because this i was not expecting i don't know what i was expecting i think i was expecting a really boring 90 minute movie that maybe had like a really violent cold open now this yeah. movie fucking goes there in like a good there, there's some slower parts but the, yeah there's plenty of like just people being fucked up and shot and horribly yeah, murdered we didn't the scene that they they put on the alternate cover artwork, and I imagine the scene that it was banned <laughs> in the UK for is the is the hook the, scene. Yep, I was just gonna get to that. The fucking uh, how they kill one of the other mafia bosses as they catch him in like a, I don't know for some reason he's in there like cutting meat like he's a part time butcher on the side, which seems weird. He must weird, really yeah. like just like cutting meat or something because usually that seems like a job that would be beneath a would be mafia don but anyway the yeah our two protagonists like catch up with him there and i think they like beat the shit out of him but like at the end of the scene they hook him onto one of the meat hooks that's on like the sliding rack so you mm -hmm. get like half a cow and just like send it flying across like the, the the butcher shop or whatever and they hook this dude by his fucking eyeball like through the back <laughs> of his head onto this thing and then send him flying it's to go crash into his buddy a surprisingly not shit effect as well. I was actually shocked yeah. by like because like we said before, this is a good print that both of us have seen. That effect against other effects from '74 is surprisingly good. Like really, really, yeah. really good. So some effects artists really knew what he was doing because that involves like a harness to keep this guy in this thing. It's kind of like in Texas Chainsaw where they get hung up on the meat yeah. hooks. Basically, same year as like well. A, same year. Yeah, TCM. And it, it's a, it's an old timey magic trick. It's like the same way that you would make yourself look like you're floating or make yourself look look like you're hanging. Like oh, mm -hmm. that goes all the way back to like House on Haunted Hill. It's literally just a harness that's like underneath your clothes, yeah. and then you have to kind of the the hook part is fake. Obviously, it's like a prosthetic that they've made look like it's gone through the guy's head. It's it's a really good effect and I was way not expecting it in this movie because it definitely leans a little towards more towards, you know, like grindhouse exploitation horror type of stuff like oh, yeah. this time and it's see it almost seems a little bit out of place in like a weirdo godfather ripoff gangster movie, but I was so fucking pleasantly surprised <laughs> at like how gnarly and violent this movie gets at times. Like they really like that that i think was their main intent with this is like well we don't have the money that the godfather has obviously and we can't like you know replicate a lot of those things but we can make it way nastier yeah we can't get marlon brando but we can go that you know we can go <laughs> we just got duke mitchell he's no marlon brando for sure but, we don't uh, have al pacino won't do this movie for some reason but um we'll, we'll make this work i think the other thing as well is that there is no real big downtime in this movie. Like, we're talking about longer sections where there's a lot of dialogue and all the rest, but there's either a kill right before that or there's more killing right after that. The movie really yeah. doesn't spend a lot of time 
not killing people and very much again linking back to Nightmare City there's in- inexplicably sex scenes between much older we- men and stunning women in this movie which I just realised really quickly um, is you know well, it just makes me cringe <laughs> like, yeah just really just old men fumbling around young women is just rank um, so yeah there, there was a bit of that as well can I ask you a great like did you get a feel for how you thought, like, when he went home at the end of this movie and I, I, I thought he was going to get bumped off, right? But I didn't know where it was going to come from until the bread came down. I was like, oh, he's, his son's going to do it. Um, did you pick up on that or was that just me filling in the blanks from my morbid brain? No, that took me completely fucking by surprise. Ah. I was not expecting it. I thought he was going to give his big speech about how the kids aren't all right and then that was going to be the fucking end of the movie, basically. But no, I, yeah, I, I way wasn't expecting the fucking him just get blasted by his own fucking son at the end. I thought maybe he, it would be like a bomb or something, like in the bread or something. I guess that kind of crossed my mind, but I was definitely not expecting his dad to have gotten his fucking kid to kill him. Yep. <laughs> Oh man, the the music's awful in this movie. Um, so I just want to stress that, uh, including the wedding scene, which we need to touch on. Um, so, like, this is Mimi's big kind of introduction to the the family, and they all just literally like pat him on the back after the kid he's kidnapped their boss and chopped his finger off, uh, which is ludicrous. But I this- think they're supposed to be scared of him, kind of, as the motivation there, because like they like right when they walk in the door, the one dude's like, "That's the guy that grabbed me," and mm-hmm. like they they I think they know maybe this dude's like kind of got a screw loose and not. Yeah, the they know who his dad is as well. I think there's a bit. They keep coming, your dad set me up and all the rest. So there is a bit of respect here, but that respect starts to fizzle out pretty quick when right. he starts kind of going off um, off the reservation, so to speak, and then starts just picking off. You know, people indiscriminately, people that are earning money. That's the thing. It's he's starting wars and killing people that earn money. Bookmakers, particularly, who earn money for the family, because um, yep. he doesn't like them. Um, I, I kind of like that idea. Just someone like just getting so kind of drunk with with power and what he feels his legacy and his birthright is. He feels that he should just be at the top because he's. He makes that comment later on that there's there's a Greek guy there and it's all Jew, Jews that are there and you know I it's only me and this this other guy who are actually Sicilians and by right we should be we should be the ones that are made men ruling the family, um, right. and there's that kind of you know it just feels like he's just walk in and take over, um, but like on top of that as well the the fact that he kind of appears at this party and like oh, at this wedding. And you know he's walking about handing like hands the money back basically as well the money that they've extorted he hands back as a wedding gift uh, and the the, the 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 mafia dons like that oh you son of a bitch like that so his present basically is no present at all his his present is more money from this don boss who's already paid for the fucking wedding and the singer that comes up to sing about spaghetti and <laughs> rigatoni and pizza uh, and it's a bit too handsy with it he just like brings up a lot of kids to dance with him. And I'm like, this is creepy. Um, and yeah, like this movie is full of baffling choices that should cripple it horribly, but 
just add to the the kind of what the fuck enjoyment level for me. It is unashamedly a bad movie. Like at no point do I think Duke Mitchell, even when making this movie, thought you know this is this is the one that's going to put me on the map for my great you know great storytelling or whatever. I think he knew he was maybe working with something substandard, but by God did he put his heart and soul into it. And then on top of that as well, you talk about the cleanup work that's done here. The cinematography in this movie is great. Like, yeah. I, I, like you can tell someone has restored this and it looks great, which means there was time, care and consideration to not only the way shots were set up, the film that they filmed it on, but yeah, there's plenty of squib effects and all the rest. And at times you can see where the edit's been done. Um, but that's, you know, at the time you would never have been able to pick that out. Nowadays we know. Um, so you can see where the stop, start edits have been done in certain scenes. But a lot of them hold up like really, really, really well. Even out with the hook scene, I was, I was pleasantly surprised by this. Like, it's like I would never in a million years, never in a million years, say this is a good movie because it's not. But in the realms of what I expect from my exploitation video nasties movies, this hits the brief a hundred percent. This gives me everything I want in a, a kind of video nasties movie without going down the, the, the kind of tropes of instant banning, which is actual real footage of people dying or, you know, rape. Um, yeah. Which are the big things that would just, gen- in general, just get you straight on the list straight away. This one actually has the gnarly violence that I would expect a censor to sit down and watch and go, oh, you know, I don't know, don't know about this. Um, see, I was, I was, I was, it's not a good movie, but by God, is it, is it, a blast. This is this is the epitome of. Uh, yeah, I will watch this movie again. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. I would love to do a like maybe at the end of this series, Mark, we maybe pick like maybe two or three movies that we really like and kind of post season releasing, we we'll do some commentaries uh, on them. And uh, Massacre Mafia style would be one that I would definitely say is worthy of commentary. Yeah, this is this would be a great group watch movie because yeah, it's it's fucking entertaining, like back to front, and yeah, I I would call this a great bad movie. Yeah, like it's it's no, it's no Godfather, but if you want some like sleazy exploitation trash, this is like oh my god, this is this I I think I almost had more fun with this than almost anything else we've watched. That was like a first time mm. watch for this series. This was hundred percent such such a fucking pleasant surprise and I'm definitely going to track down that Grindhouse Blu-ray because I'm the same I, I can definitely see myself popping this on like with some friends and beer and just having a fucking blast with it yeah I, I think I think you're right I think of all the movies thus far 8 episodes and this one is the one I've had most unabashed fun with that I had never seen before so something like Friday the 13th you know like that you know movies from that series that do appear in this list. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna have fun with them anyway because they're just right. amazing. But as a first time watch, like knowing nothing about and expecting something which it did not give me, but by God, did it give me the thing that I didn't realize I actually wanted? Um, yeah, it's great. It's like it is, it is the is the epitome of of great trashy exploitation cinema uh, and that is that that does my soul good because like there's so many of them covered um 
like on publications and all the rest, you get you can find a great list of trashy exploitation movies. I'd never heard of this one before. Um nah, so that kind of that kind of caught me by surprise when I watched it. I can see why Grindhouse put it out because um, it makes sense <laughs> whether there was a whether there was a label to give it some TLC and their stuff's pretty good anyway. So um, yeah, uh, uh, anything else you want to say about uh, Massacre Mafia style, which is a much better name than like Father Like Son. Like, and the, much the Executioner name. is kind of a generic title, too. I don't know. It, 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 it's cool and looks cool on a poster, but I bet there's like 10 other movies called Executioner oh, or course. The Executioner, so I can kind of understand. Well, that was where I got. That's where I struggled last time, remember? I was like, The Executioner from 1978. And I was reading yeah, it, and it sounded like a courtroom a drama. <laughs> yeah, thank God it was this movie and not that other one, because that other one sounded fucking boring. Sounded lo- I think uh, it was like two hours long as well, so. Um, uh, Jesus Christ! Yeah, I'm. I'm I kind of want to track down the other Duke Mitchell movies, like you said. Uh, whatever the fucking other one was called, oh, something. Uh, something of the Pope, or like God or the Pope, or something. I'm, I'm looking right at the Wikipedia. It's got. Oh, I've got right now. Gone with the Pope, 2010. Gone. Yep, it sounds like kind of the same thing. Another nasty gangster movie. Yeah. So, and, and also put out by Grindhouse releasing. <laughs> yeah. I kind of want to track that. Yeah, down famed now too. nightclub performer Duke Mitchell is Paul, a paroled gangster with an unholy scheme to kidnap the Pope and ch- this is amazing already and yeah, charge a dollar yeah. from every Catholic in the world as ransom. Shot in ninety. <laughs> right now, here's the here's the thing though. This is where this levels up. So this was shot that originally shot the year after. Massacre Mafia style. So shot in 1975, Gone with the Pope was unfinished at the time of Duke Mitchell's death in 1981 and finally completed in 2009 from a rediscovered unfinished print. Dude, we need to see this movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the Grindhouse releasing guys found the work print of it in like a fucking garage or a storage unit somewhere and like finished it and put it out. And yeah, it, it sounds... It sounds just like this movie, and I have to fucking see it now. Oh, man. Yep, it will happen. It will happen, ladies and gents. Duke Mitchell just... uh, He sounds like an interesting... He did the voice of fucking Fred Flintstone on the original Flintstones cartoon. Yeah, yeah. He was uh, one of the two dudes in Bela Lugosi meets a Brooklyn gorilla, which they got sued by Martin and Lewis for, for fucking (laughs) being such similar characters to those two. And then, Mm -hmm. yeah... he was like a, a, a singer in a nightclub act in Los Angeles and Vegas for years and years and eventually used the money that he made from that to fund his low-budget gangster movies like Mafia Massacre style. This dude sounds fucking fascinating. I'm, I'm getting real, like, Neil Breen only, like, if he was yeah. maybe a little more self-aware and, like, kind of better at what he's doing. But, yeah, real Neil Breen vibes. It's just like he wants to do everything and, like, maybe thinks he's a little bit cooler than he actually is mm-hmm. but uh, yeah I, I definitely want to check out this other the fucking the, the one with the Pope <laughs> sounds amazing <laughs> oh man right let's bring it in for um, grades on this one uh, so for those that are checking us out for the first time we have a very simple grading system here uh, as uh, based on merit of what we think the censors would have done to the movie if they'd found you with it um, would they at the most extreme level give you some hard time would they give you some community service would they give you a slap on the wrists or would this be a case dismissed so obviously hard time 
the you know, the kind of heavy heavy level so that's for movies that genuinely are really disturbing uh, right down to slap on the wrist which is just yeah, on your bike or case dismissed which is like there's nothing in here at all um, I mean it's violent it is violent I'll give it that I think uh, on the scale it's definitely not on the kind of hard time for me but there is like that scene with the hook especially some of the language um, I think some of the, the violence in general this movie has got a ton of language I could see myself maybe opting for a little bit of community service on this one where do you come in in Mark Ball? so I, I was thinking about this a lot as I was watching this and an, another thing that uh, we'll probably I'll probably mention a few times over the course of the series is that Ta- I think Tarantino had seen this movie at some point oh, maybe no and I got real especially from the the opening credits like the the opening massacre basically I got real strong pulp fiction pulp fiction vibes and I almost feel like maybe at the time they probably went leany more lenient if you made this movie in like 1995 people like Tipper Gore would have been up in fucking arms mm-hmm. about how it, the way it glorifies violence and how our protagonist is basically just like this fucking psychopath um so I'm gonna do a little thing here because another thing that I, I, I got a real vibe from this movie kind of like the scene in The Breakfast Club where the principal is yelling at the kid and he's like, you, you want 20 more days of fucking detention? Keep on talking, tough guy. This movie wants to be the bad, nasty kid in the cr- in the classroom. So I'm going to give it hard time because that's what I think it wants. And I almost genuinely think that it kind of deserves it just because of how gnarly some of the violence is and how how it do- really does like kind of glorify violence, which I mean, that's exactly what we fucking wanted oh, out of this movie going totally into it. Totally glorifies violence. <laughs> gnarly carnage. So I'm going to do what I think this movie wants me to do, and I'm going to give it hard time, mister. Nice, nice. Right, we have one more movie to discuss. Couldn't be any more different if it tried. <laughs> so we're going to do a little bit. I'm Bertel Lindsay. I am over the fucking bit about this. Uh, we're going to talk about Nightmare City. But first, before we get to that, you're going to hear more of those learned people talking about why they think Nightmare City might have made the list. You're going to hear that trailer when we come back. We'll be discussing it right after this. Nightmare City put out by VTC in a cut version um, Zimberto Lenzi is also known as City of the Walking Dead and there's an irony there because neither are they dead or are they walking in fact this is probably an inspiration I'm sure they probably wouldn't agree with this to something like 28 Days Later the film was also put out um, in an no- even more cut version um, on a double bill with Alien Terror um, and um, again put out on VTC uh, using the American artwork which was put out um, I think that was the one sheet artwork for City of the Walking Dead in the US Zimberto Lenzi was obviously the famous trash auteur who put his hands in loads of different films from Jali to um, police thrillers to cannibal films um, and this was his zombie film although again he says this isn't a zombie film it's in fact um, these aren't zombies these are radiated madmen and women actually and of course are they zombies or are they vampires because that's the other thing um, in the film they don't chomp on guts like many of the Italian gut munchers they actually drink blood it's got um, Hugo Stiglitz if I'm pronouncing that correctly he was a Mexican actor Umberto Lenzi said that he wanted to actually cast Franco Nero or Fabio Testi in the film now it seems very unlikely either Franco Nero or Fabio Testi would have been in this film he got Hugo instead for the apparently for the Mexican audiences who wanted to see this film um, he plays a TV reporter who gets sent out to um, 
to interview a famous scientist who's, who's coming into, into an unnamed city to talk about a chemical spill um, or a, a nuclear accident. It's never quite clear. Um, and what happens in one of the greatest kind of trash kind of moments in cinema is this uh, plane lands and out jump all these kind of, well, monsters, vampires, zombies, whatever you want to call them. They all look like they've all fallen, got a bit drunk and fallen into a cow pat. Now, again, it's probably not the best special effects ever, but again, it really, really works. And these aren't slow shuffling zombies. This is basically complete polar opposite, something like Fulci's zombie movies, um, like Zombie Flesh Eaters or Beyond, which is much more insular or esoteric, I can guess. This is essentially an action movie. This is one of the greatest um, uh, party movies, in my opinion. Um, it, it's, it's a huge amount of fun. One of maybe one of the best lines in it, I think it's Mel Ferrer, who is, um, says, let's use Plan H. We'll follow emergency Plan H. And if we can't use Plan H, if it gets really bad, we'll go to Plan B. And we'll keep Plan B in reserve in case the situation gets out of hand. And it's just bizarre, these kind of bizarre things. But um, Umberto Lenzi, who I don't haven't met Umberto, but he's famously a little bit po-faced about his movies. Now, I can't believe he didn't make this movie a little bit of a, a bit of tongue-in-cheek. Um, it's got some great moments, great gore moments. Probably, if it come out in an uncut version, it probably would have been one of the bona fide video nasties, one of something that would have attracted a lot more attention. Um, and of course, one of the standout scenes is seen when, if you remember Top of the Pops from the 1970s, when Pan's people were dancing, and if you can imagine, suddenly, on the Top of the Pops studio, a load of zombies burst in with machetes and start cutting off breasts. Then you can see why this film might have got the attention that it has. Um, in reality, the film's far too silly to be offensive. Lindsay tries to go one further than Fulci with some eye violence, where um, there's a very protracted scene where a woman gets her eyeball cut out. But what the film does do, and I think what it succeeds in doing, is actually it's on a obviously what is quite a low budget. It's actually got quite almost a pan pandemic feel to it and so much it goes out you actually do have a city being attacked rather than just a lot of people holed up in a farmhouse it's far more expansive um so you although it's kind of a very low low budget you do get like a great scene in hospital where there's doctors and nurses being chased and of course all the time all the nurses have their blouses ripped off and of course it's an italian zombie movie so what else would you expect but it's a great deal of fun you know it's one of my favorite zombie movies and nightmare city is a bit like i mean the horror equivalent of bobby ewing stepping out of the shower in dallas it's essentially, it's, it was all a dream. So Hugo wakes up and suddenly goes, and then so it's all happening again. He goes off to meet, um, uh, meet the professor at the airport and it all starts again, the nightmare continues. So it's one of those great circular um, endings, which I imagine would have, huge groan would have gone out from the new audience, possibly because they're gonna watch the whole thing again. Top of the news this evening is speculation concerning the real facts behind a Department of Health announcement about a radioactive spill supposed to have occurred yesterday at the state nuclear plant. Information from an official source, which reached our newsroom this afternoon, stresses the seriousness of the situation. Something very serious has happened at the airport. But until we conclude our investigation and take the necessary countermeasures, nothing is going to leak out. Nothing. Last night I had this nightmare. It was all about my leg. It was a big explosion. It was right here in the hospital. I got hit. My leg got cut off. Well, we don't have to worry over that any longer. Jim, your leg's going to be just fine. Yes? 
Richardson would like you to come down here right away. Now. This individual and others like him have been subjected to strong doses of atomic radiation, which increased their physical capacities beyond the norm. In short, it's a kind of a Superman. This is Channel 5 TV station. They're being attacked. For God's sakes, send somebody fast. The victims of these creatures are contaminated, even if they only suffer minor injuries. Then they can reproduce themselves, Colonel, say, indefinitely? We'll be completely on our own. We'll simply have to declare a state of emergency ourselves or before we all become contaminated just like them. It's frightening. How could a thing like this happen? It's part of the vital cycle of the human race. Create and obliterate until we destroy ourselves. Special commando units positioned at all strategic points in and around the city. Public buildings, offices and businesses alike have been ravaged. And damage is estimated in the hundreds of thousands. Lives have been lost, with the end still not in sight. My God, Sheila, what's going on? I don't know. I really don't know. Oh, I don't want us to die. They're all around us, everywhere, everywhere. God help us all. And welcome back. So you've just heard the trailer for Nightmare City from 1980. This is directed by the late, great... Umberto Lenzi. Uh, this man's back catalogue of movies is fucking daunting, by the way. <laughs> he released a lot. Um, this is a, a zombie movie, kinda, um, and you know has a ton of names that you will have come across before uh, if you watch a bit of Italian cinema. Uh, the synopsis for this one is an airplane exposed to radiation lands and blood-drinking zombies emerge armed with wait for it, knives, guns and teeth. They go on the rampage slicing, dicing and biting their way across the Italian countryside. Ladies and gents, that is the most accurate uh, synopsis I've read in a while from IMDb. That is literally what happens in this movie. Um, That's pretty much it. Yeah, and uh, for the most part, I, I, I kind of love it. There, there are some issues um, for sure here in that I love Umberto Lenzi. Umberto Lenzi has a specific style of doing things, including those zooms, those face zooms that I fucking adore. Um, oh, yeah. Which he did. Everyone with a face zoom. Face zoom him. Face zoom her. Um, I think that's called a crash zoom, if I, if I remember Oh, he crashes, he crash zooms the fuck out of everything. Um, he's like, the camera should be in their face. <laughs> All the way through it. Uh, this movie has lots of gore. This movie has a bitching soundtrack. This movie has a terrible premise and a lot of downtime 
which doesn't aid it much at all. And zombies that are at times fucking great and at other times look like someone has sneezed while eating oatmeal in front of someone. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's they forgot of, to take their face mask off before they got to set. Yeah, a bit of that is kind of like kind of knobbly, oatmeal-y mess on people's faces. <laughs> um, and it also suffers an ending which I do not care for at all. Yeah. I fucking hate the ending of this movie uh, and we will get to why it uses a particular trope and technique which I I, I, I feel like I feel myself getting violent when I see <laughs> it's just the laziest way of doing a movie like just a, yeah. uh, however that being said had you seen Nightmare City before? I'd seen this a really, really long time ago. I don't even remember the last time I sat through this. I'm pretty sure they had this at Blockbuster under the alternative title of uh, City of the Walking Dead, I believe. Mm -hmm. And I remember the original box art was really, really similar to the U.S. cut of City of the Living Dead, which is called Gates of Hell Mm -hmm. in America. I'm pretty (laughs) sure these, like, sat... Yeah, these were, like, really close to each other in the fucking video rental section, and I remember that was, like, when I was really first starting to get into horror, so, like, I had no idea who Fulci was or Lenzi was or, like, Italian cinema was, like, a distant, faraway thing to me at that point. And yeah. Plus, both I, movies I remember... came out the same year as well, like, 1980. Yeah. So, I, which is just weird. Like, this is, like, the post um, zombie, if you're in America, but zombie flesh eaters... Like, we need to make loads of zombie movies um, kind of phase. So, like, 79 Zombie Flesh Eaters comes out, which is basically Filchie's version of uh, Dawn of the Dead. And right. within, basically, within a year, um, Italian cinema is no longer doing, like, kind of police procedurals or kind of quasi-jallo. It's everyone is making zombie movies. Like, everyone yep. is... There's about easily... This is also the same year as Cannibal Holocaust. What a fucking year 1980 was uh, for yeah. Italian cinema. Honestly, it's fucking insane. Um, and basically, what you, what you have is, I think there is maybe about nine or ten prominent... Italian zombie movies made like within two years of of uh, zombie flesh eaters, uh, and this is one of them. This is one of the ones that comes right on the back, like straight away. Like we, we need to do more zombie movies because they're bankable, and that's what the Italian audience wants. And you get this one with a weird setup, like the the cover artwork. I don't know if you look at the cover artwork on IMDb. It looks like people are wearing either ga- uh, kind of hazmat suits. Or suits from the future, um, and that wouldn't surprise me because a lot of Italian movies at this time were starting to do the sci-fi route, but never delivered on the sci-fi route. So they would start off as sci-fi scripts, and the artwork would be done, and then the movies would be made, and very much in that kind of Corman era of things, they wouldn't even remotely fucking resemble, <laughs> like even a little yep. bit resemble what happens in the movie. Because no one in this movie walks along wearing a bright yellow hazmat suit with a space helmet. Yeah, it was it was just a marketable image. It reminds me of the Crazies is another one yes. where like the whole entire marketing was the hazmat suit kind of. It, it conveys an image and it kind of tells you 
at least a little bit about what this movie may or may not be about. Uh, G- Contamination is another one. I think that is a fucking Lindsay movie too. Contamination is called- 1981 or 82 as well. So that is like... Okay. Contamination... No, sorry, I take that back. Contamination is 1980. Same year. Same fucking year. Uh, and probably the same sets and shit. <laughs> directed by Luigi Cosi. Oh, okay. That, so, who basically yeah. is just a like he's he's like a, a like a shiter Lindsay. He's like a more exploitative <laughs> Lindsay. And I, I, no, no offense to Luigi Cosi because I, I think Contamination is a ton of fun, and he did some of those later. Uh, he did some of the later zombie movies, I think. Um, but uh, you know, he's he's a hack. He's a hack for hire. So, <laughs> so let's 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 call it like we see it, Mark. Uh, he's not a better Lindsay. There's no crash crash zooms in, in his back catalog. You know what I mean? Like there isn't Lindsay's. <laughs> So they were beside each other in the video store, and then I cut you off. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think that had been the last time I'd like sat all the way through this. I, I think I, for some reason I started watching this like a couple years ago. I think, and I remember thinking, "Man, Planet Terror is like a fucking really, really close ripoff of this movie." <laughs> and they, they, yeah, they like even like the opening. I think is really similar to, if I remember correctly, how Planet Terror opens, where. This movie, t- generally you save like your big giant set pieces and like all of your, your day when you're shooting and you have to have like every fucking extra that you can gather mm-hmm. uh, on set. You save that for like the middle or the end of the movie. But no, Nightmare City comes out fucking swinging with the, fu- with the airport scene and it's just like... Like, right off the bat, just like dozens and dozens of shots of people being shot, stabbed fucking just ripped apart bad oatmeal face zombies just fucking <laughs> carnage like right out the fucking gate of this thing like this, this thing wastes no time fucking just like like just fucking turning it up to 11 mm-hmm. and then we get uh, a, another cl- another trope of movies from the time which is the fucking aerobics th- scene oh, where God. they're shooting like an aerobics and the Don't movie like I, it, it comes to like almost a standstill for thankfully not too terribly long, but like a minute or two. They're like, we got to jam some fucking aerobics into this mm-hmm. thing. Aerobics are like, I don't know how this was probably a few years before like jazzercise and fucking goofy shit like that. Those humongous at the time, like it's some just of the later like, excuse 80s to get, horror movies. Yeah, it's just an excuse to get women, a bunch of women. clad women. Yeah, yeah without, without worrying about the censors by portraying a lot of naked women. It's, yeah. it's tantamount to that because they're basically wearing like as a skin thin clothing and they're all like gyrating around it's, to me that's the only reason you get like so much of that in the 80s it's not necessarily like in Italy people are not doing aerobics you know what I mean but that's in this true. movie in this movie fuck it you know what I mean we'll, we'll put it in there it's a quick way of doing things it's a bit of titillation the guys yep. will the guys will get a chubby and we'll all be happy. You get, you, you get your little disco needle drop in there too because mm-hmm. that was all the fucking. There's still lots of that going on like <laughs> around the time this was probably shot. But uh, yeah, and then that scene also is like the same thing. You get your little bit of jazzercise and then fucking zombies ripping down the goddamn door, <laughs> slitting throats, fucking drinking blood off of naked titties and yep. fucking. It's just carnage. Like for the first like twenty minutes of this thing, and it's like. Oh my god, it's such a fucking like action horror movie chubby for the first like mm-hmm. chunk of this. And then it kind of fucking like it's got a few scenes that like I think kind of I don't know, it it's probably just because we've gotten like such an adrenaline rush and a boner for the first like 20 minutes of this thing that when it like 
kind of slows down and tries to create some characters and some plot in the middle of it, it kind of becomes like that's when I like looked down at my phone for a yeah. little bit and was like, all right, movie, let's get to the next action set piece. Well, there's a reason. Thankfully, there, I was going to say there was a, a reason when you were spelling about when you put those scenes in movies, they come at the middle and the end. It's like you you escalate into them. If you start on such a high point, you're giving yourself very little room to maneuver anywhere. Except, you, know, you kind of shoot yourself yeah, in the foot yeah, with that. Which is that's the, that Nightmare City's biggest problem is it gives you maybe one of the most bitching zombie set pieces of all time right at the start, and then never really manages to capture that level. It'll give you plenty of carnage throughout the movie, but it's never going to be on that scale. So as a result, you're you're you slowly, and especially when it then tries to be like, well, like care for these characters. Um, <laughs> which oh, the fairground scene made me like on it. I I'd forgotten about that. I've seen this movie a few times, but I'd forgotten about the dummy that gets dropped off the big Ferris wheel. And my, uh, honestly, coffee coming out my nose uh, and down <laughs> and down my top. And I, I actually thought this is how I die. This is this is the, I die choking on coffee and snot because um, it is fucking amazing. But like it, it tries to then start giving you characters that you kind of should care about. Specifically, this reporter who's there right as the outbreak happens. It's his story we're kind of following through, and it, it unfortunately like has to carry that anchor through huge sections in the movie. And very much like yourself. It is almost impossible not to check the time code, lift your phone, you know, like <laughs> have a conversation with your pet about like trivial things. Um, it's difficult not to do that because it's not a movie that necessarily has the most unique of plot or great acting either to really keep your attention, if that makes sense. Especially the military guys, like when it starts getting into that stuff, is definitely when this movie kind of loses me because they're all just boring, stuffy white guys, like looking at maps and shit and like mm-hmm. pointing, you know, talking about stuff that like you could have like pretty easily done in like one quick scene oh, God, yeah. in, in, in another movie. In this movie, it's like a fucking good chunk of like the middle third of this thing. And then finally, eventually, once we get through kind of all that stuff and it gets to be like a little bit more of like a post-apocalyptic movie and we have like a couple, we've got the reporter guy and the chick as a kind of our protagonist. It kind of, it kind of, and yeah, that, that's the best way I can think to describe these characters because they're completely nondescript. Like yeah. they, this, this has a giant ensemble cast of Italian nobodies that we don't really give a shit about at any point. We just kind of are waiting to see them get ripped to shreds, which yeah, th- thankfully does happen. We, we get like the good, uh, last 20 minutes or so of this uh, take place at the amusement park where there is like some pretty cool zombie stuff. They like build a fucking Molotov cocktail out of some kerosene in a bottle and blow up a fucking gas pump in a car. And there's lots of cool shit. The fucking one, I, I think it's like one of the scientist guys gets quartered in a basement by a couple of them and gets a fucking. Uh, I think it's like a fireplace poker or mm-hmm. something jammed into his fucking eye and it's very. Like it was, it, was, it was definitely a scene that I feel like he borrowed a lot from Fulci because it just doesn't cut away, and there's lots of fucking just gnarly, gross shots of this dude like getting his fucking like face ripped apart with a, mm-hmm. with a fireplace poker, kind of, and lots of cool, yeah, just like headshots and fucking uh, just cool zombie action that I think like at this point Lindsay had like kind of 
dialed in or he had like so much like source material to kind of borrow from that like this I think was like I, I'm sure they shot this thing super fucking fast and oh God, still managed have. to get <laughs> and still managed to get like thousands of setups it feels like it feels like like there are so many and like you really sit down and think about that like how long it takes to set up a 32 millimeter camera or a 35 millimeter camera the lights a squib for your extra <laughs> like he's got his yeah, yeah. He's got his oatmeal face mask makeup on. Like, that shit, like, even the stuff that, like, doesn't look that great still takes a really ridiculous long time, and there's thousands of them in this movie. And I, just that alone I, I find really impressive and, like, how, how much work it must have taken to get this thing done. But, like like I said, I think they've done, like, so much of this at this point, like, in different kinds of movies that, like, I, I'm sure this moved at a really brisk pace, like, when they were producing it. And, yeah, a lot of it, a lot of it, except for that middle third, I think, does have, like, it moves at a pretty steady clip and is edited just, like, fucking by somebody who probably lived on cocaine. And <laughs> this is fucking... I, man, I, I had a lot of fun with this movie. This is a great fucking action horror movie, despite the fact that it doesn't really give us characters that we give a shit about, and that it really slows down in the middle with all the military bullshit. And, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's just when you, like, get up and go smoke. Like, if you yeah. back in the day saw this at the theater, you know, you go fucking get a beer or something real quick if you're watching this at home kind of deal. But, um yeah, man, I fucking I dug the shit out of this movie. This has got to be one of Lindsay's better movies for sure. I'm trying to think of other stuff of his. Uh, well, he did scene. the same year he did Eating Alive, um, which is you know same I'm year. Sure, I've seen that. You you must have because Eating Alive is his dry run at uh, Cannibal Ferox. Basically, mm. like a lot of stuff gets. I think even the score gets used. And he just copies the score over. <laughs> like. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's he is a he's a weird director because you are getting in terms of what he's doing, um, just in general within like the years before and the years after. He is churning out some really cool stuff. He did a police procedural movie called uh, was it the the cynic the rat in the fist, which eighty eight films cool title. But, uh, it's a fucking great movie as well. It's a proper kind of police. Uh, they they have a whole like the the giallo morphed into when it started running at favor they started just doing cop cop dramas uh, that became right. the big thing in Italy um, and they were kind of mid to late seventies so he kind of transferred over and did some of that and then you know went back to doing his cannibal stuff uh, and some zombie stuff as well so it's di- in terms of what uh, Lindsay is doing around this time this is on the higher end of it. Um, although I do I have a soft spot for Ferox and I have a soft spot for Eating Alive I think Ferox is actually a surprisingly good rip off of Cannibal Holocaust because it is it really is but right. I, I do like this and um, like I said before uh, Stelvio Cipriani is the guy who does the score for this movie interesting yep. that you mention specifically about Nightmare City um, 
in terms of being an influence on uh, Planet Terror, so and the, and the kind of Grindhouse thing, because uh, his score is used. Um, he either wrote a new score or he composed stuff specifically for the Grindhouse soundtrack. And the only reason I know that, uh, specifically for Planet Terror, is because we covered that as part of the summer series. It was one of those weird factoids I came across. Um, so yeah, it's clear it's clear to me that uh, Robert Rodriguez is a fan of this movie. No way he's not. Oh yeah, no way he's not. Um, yeah, I mean, to me, it, it has a lull in the middle. I think we've discussed that. However, when this movie switches on, it is it is it is a great example of just how the Italians kind of took the idea of the zombie stuff, which you know George A. Romero was doing with more depth and kind of you know more precision and more message and just kind of converted them into action movies and it's, yep. like, it's a great example of that the kind of mid to late 80s are a you know a wash with movies that take the formula from uh, Nightmare City and, and move on where you're looking at a movie like Rats or some of the later zombie movies as well like Zombie 3 Zombie 4 where they're basically just action movies um, with, with zombies in the background that, that owe a lot to Nightmare City for sure um, like the, like I say, it, it builds to this great, <laughs> great set piece of them, like zombies, like, and we're not even realised, but these zombies can use weapons, which I think is a genius move, because it just adds an extra level of kind of intensity. I mean, these things can already run and they can already rip you apart, and you know they're not easily killed, but also they can use weapons. So fuck you. The dude, the dude with the knife in the TV station is legit unsettling. Oh, of that felt like something out of like one of the later Resident Evil movies so again, where they're like kind of zombies, but kind of still they're humans, so mm-hmm. they can do like really scary dark human shit like that. And the fact that we can see their eyes, like they didn't do the contact lens thing either. I think yeah. adds this weird spooky fucking haunted house like kind of it, it makes them feel a lot more human than zombie and I think that's like it makes it almost scarier and more real totally totally agree with you um, it culminates in a, a scene in a fairground where our reporter dude is climbing up with his his, his, uh, his lady <laughs> and uh, she can't hold on to the rope there's not any explanation given as to why she can't hold on the rope because it seems like she doesn't really have to struggle to hold on to this rope but she drops and then hits every single spoke on the big wheel on the way down. And it's clearly just a dummy as he's shouting after her. It is, it is one of those moments that just makes me glad that cinema exists. You know what I mean? Where I'm like, this is fucking amazing. Like, all the way down. And then, as we're saying, that I, I, made, I made this statement earlier on, the movie's ending doesn't necessarily do much for me because specifically... Um, when this happens, we we come to realise that it's all been a dream, Mark. Yep. It has all been a dream by this reporter, and then we get the set up to essentially all the things that happened in this movie. You know, like he's going to interview this guy who's arriving on a plane and all the rest, and then he arrives, and the movie leads right up to the door opening for the plane, um, and that's when it cuts to credits. When- it says something really stupid on the screen oh, too. Yeah. It's like. 
on the nightmare becomes reality dot 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 and that's our ending yeah. and yeah it's 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 a bad satisfying a bad unsatisfying ending, ending. I, I was glad that they at least like went back to the beginning of the movie because i i would have been legit fucking pissed if this ending would have just been whoops it was all a dream yeah the end. Like, at least <laughs> yeah. at least they kind of tried to do um, something yeah, with I mean, it where hinted, it like starts back over but, it's hinted yeah. heavily that that you know that it's going to happen again and he's kind of dreamt about this. There must have been something in the water in Italy when it came to directing a zombie movie in 1980 because City of the Living Dead also has a completely unsatisfying ending. Yeah. You know, when you have like like a kid running towards some people and them screaming it and the screen cracking for no reason at all other than Fulci just checked out at that point. He's like, fuck it. Um, yeah, I almost think that's kind of a shittier, goofier ending oh, than yeah. this one. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, because at like least at least the there's a chance. Ultimate frustrating endings. Yeah, at least there's a chance that you know the world is going to end at the end of this one. And the and the Fulci one, it is clear to me that he just didn't have an ending. <laughs> yeah, just crack the screen. The fuck up. Crack the screen. I've got another two of these fucking gates, the hell movies to make in the next year. <laughs> so just fucking crack the screen and move on. I'm doing yep, the Beyond. It's a better movie, trust me. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, like, I just, I, I get that, I get that feeling. Uh, yeah. So overall, I mean, it's, it's, if you've never seen it before, go check it out. In the UK, Arrow has a print of it. It is worth checking out that Arrow print. You get two versions of it actually, um, from two different restoration techniques, um, and the extras are pretty lush. Um, I will say that there is always the ongoing rumor, and I think we can probably squash this rumour now that Tom Savini is going to do a remake of this movie um, well they had like a fucking kickstarter going yeah. for it even yeah. I think they were like they were like selling like you could be an extra you could be a zombie in this movie if you donate like a thousand bucks to the kickstarter or something yeah I don't think it ever never ended anywhere. up happening yeah no. never ended up happening I don't know if anyone got their money back I would like to hope so um, but you never know on these projects um, but yeah so it, it's, it's not going to happen we'll never see it and to be honest, I'm fine with that. I, this is the sort of movie that benefits for the time that comes out. And like Mark was saying, if you want a kind of gnarlier, updated, much gloopier version of this movie, just check out Planet Terror. Um, yep. It has the same kind of setup and, and goes in a direction that is like, you know, well, I've said it before and I'll say it again. It's the sort of movie you don't want to eat pasta with. Like spaghetti would be a terrible move, <laughs> a terrible move uh, when watching um, Planet Terror. Uh, but yeah, I, I think overall, I mean, it's, it's it's not it's not an incredible movie by any stretch of the imagination compared to the ones that are doing these movies. Like Fulci is better at this sort of movie than yeah. Lindsay, but Lindsay gives that a good fucking shot, man. I, I, it's, it's, it's an entertaining, hacky, schlocky bit of fun for sure and there are plenty of movies that come after this that don't do it as well so he was on to something Um, right let's talk about grades for this one where are you coming in for Nightmare City this one's pretty gnarly Mm -hmm. it's got a lot of fucking crazy fucking violence in it and like it pulls no punches this is something the Italians were great at is they they knew how to turn it up to 11 obviously Fulci I think is like kind of the fucking king of the (laughs) it doesn't cut away ever and we're gonna see like this person melt into fucking pieces or be just ripped to shreds kind of deal but (laughs) this movie has a fair amount of that and a lot of it fucking still i think holds up pretty well and is pretty gross by today's standards and um 
Yeah, I'm uh, I'm almost tempted to do the same thing with this one. I, this movie is it's try it's it's trying and I think succeeds in a lot of ways of being uh a, it 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 wanted to be a video nasty before like obviously that was even a thing, I'm mm. sure, but uh it's it's trying to it's trying to be like the 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 movie that Dawn of the Dead didn't have the balls to be. It's, <laughs> it's this is 10 times worse than Dawn of the Dead. So, uh I, I I probably land with some, well no nah, fuck it we'll give this one a hard time too you're you're going to the slammer for a while because that's what you want uh, we'll tell we'll tell your buddies that you you put up a fight and we're we're, we're the macho tough guy and when you get out everyone will respect you because you're a tough guy you you were talking about the the idea of like the the Italian specifically Fulci not having a filter and it made me remember that I once said on a podcast that the Fulci filter. Is a filter that doesn't exist. <laughs> it's yep. just a, an empty space where there should be a filter, but it isn't there. Um, yeah, I'm coming once again community service for this one. I think like that it does get gnarly, and to me, there are examples of movies in a similar vein in the tier one and tier two lists uh, that are not as gnarly as Nightmare City. Nightmare City out- outperforms them in that, so. Um, that you know, I, I that kind of blows my mind that you know this movie does what it does, uh, and yet like a movie, and I mention it all the time, like Frozen fucking Scream or The Boogeyman um, or Revenge of the Boogeyman. That those are movies that were on a band list, and this one wasn't. When this one is doing a lot more, and that kind of kind of blows my mind. So yeah, I'm coming in with community service for this. So some high scores uh, for these movies. We're going to take a short break, though, and when we come back after a promo for a show that we love, uh, we are going to be telling you what the next two movies that are dropping in a month's time are right after this. This is a test of the emergency podcasting system. Listen to the Psychosemantic Podcast. Politics, movies, and political movies. Find us on Facebook, iTunes, Stitcher, LegionPodcasts.com, The Psychosemantic Podcast. And welcome back, ladies and gents. So, <laughs> uh, we are going to be back for episode number nine um, in about a month's time. And we have another two movies lined up. Mark, are you ready to hear what those two movies are? I can't wait. This was a really good one, so I'm hoping this at least kind of lives up to this episode because I, I we got two real fucking bangers this episode, and I'm feeling kind of spoiled. So hopefully, uh, this isn't disappointing. <laughs> well, let me let me bring you in, uh, and welcome to the season two of uh, Doing the Nasty, a man who had a few on season one. <laughs> uh, of course, we're going to be dealing with a little bit of Jess Franco. That's right. Ooh. Oh, yeah, with the erotic rights of Frankenstein from 1973. Um, written and directed by Jess Franco, based on the screenplay by Jess Franco, and story by Jess Franco. Um, the synopsis for this one is Dr. Frankenstein and his assistant Morpheo uh, are killed just as they bring their creation to life. The monster is taken by oh Jesus Christ Cal- Caligstro maybe uh, and he now controls the monster and plans to have it mate and create the perfect master race. So just when you thought 
Uh, oh, it's a, it's a Frankenstein movie by Chase Franco, and now we're bringing in the Master Race. Awesome. Uh, oh, boy. Like, Franco did nothing. He's another guy. The Franco, the old Franco filter, is even thinner and non-existent than <laughs> the filthy fucking filter, for sure. Uh, we'll be turning that movie up with Parasite. Now, I believe Ooh. I have the right one for this, so this should be Parasite from 1982. Um... I, I'm going to double check that in a wee second because I have spectacular picked the wrong movie before so don't go searching for Parasite and watch that fucking amazing one that won the Oscar last year because it's not that yep, not that one not that one uh, but this one's directed by Charles Band it came out in 1982 and the synopsis for this one is Paul Dean has created a deadly parasite that is now attached to his stomach he and his female companion this is a weird fucking synopsis female companion he and his his girlfriend would be better Patricia Wells Jesus Christ uh, must find a way to destroy it while trying to avoid Rickus his rednecks and the evil government agent named Merchant um, wow, this sounds like uh, the posters everything are in the kitchen sink movie. This was a 3D movie from 1982. Oh, so oh Jesus Christ. I, can't, I <laughs> cannot wait, man. Honestly, um, if this lives up <laughs> remotely to how the poster looks, uh, I am I'm the happiest man on the fucking planet right now. And it's Charles Band as well, so you know there is a high degree of schlock going to be involved in this movie because there's no way and there it- isn't going to be. <laughs> And it is, at least at the time of this recording, on the YouTubes. It's in the fucking, the, the Video Nasty playlist. If you follow me on YouTube, it's Fancy Mark with a space between it. Yes. Uh, I built a playlist with a good, uh, well, <clears throat> when I made the list, it had like, I don't know, probably half of the list on there. Mm-hmm. But uh, slowly but surely, uh, like a fucking either copyright bots or people snitching on these people or... <laughs> Companies putting out Blu-rays of these movies have eliminated like about twenty twenty. I found it's twenty twenty. Yeah, just fucking with our show again. Yeah, pretty much. It's, they don't want us to watch these movies. But at the time of recording, this one is on there, and it is the correct one because I remember yeah. going back and checking and see this as Charles Band at the beginning of it. So it does. And it is, is on there. Is the correct movie? I've just confirmed um, that mm. uh, is the correct title that we're doing. Um, the weird little feature fact about this one is it is the feature. Uh, this is the first major role of feature actress Demi Moore. So, no shit. Demi Moore is in this movie. <clears throat> By I wonder God, if this was before or after she was the uh, the butt on the I Spit on Your Grave poster. Uh, after, must be, if it's 82. Uh, I Spit on ah. Your Grave, 79, I think. Oh, okay, yeah. 78, 79, so yeah, so that must be after. But yeah, there we go. She is uh, she is right in here uh, with Parasite, a bit of Charles Band. So yeah, we're going to be doing Charles Band, which does make me happy because it's a while since we did one of his movies. Uh, and Jess Franco. So this will be a fucking weird show uh, in a month's time. <laughs> There's no way it won't. It couldn't be any more different if they tried. Um, no. So yeah, that is what we'll be covering. Uh, Mark, until then though, you do some fun things. You keep yourself busy. Where can people check out the fun stuff that you do? Uh, mainly the Instagram is the one I want you to follow. That's at fancy underscore Mark. I do uh, action figure photography and stop motion and pictures of my garden and other such bullshit on there. 
Uh, follow me on the letterbox. I try and keep up with these and all the other podcast stuff and in general all the other crap that I watch and do quick little reviews. That's fancy, Mark. Uh, we were talking earlier, uh, everybody should definitely, if you're interested in this show, be checking out our buddy Tony on the Video Nasty Project mm-hmm. on YouTube. He uploads stuff pretty regularly and... He does a really, man, he can find some really interesting, crazy shit. Like, if you want a little bit more, like, background on, like, the actual, uh, like, banning of these movies and stuff like that. He's got lots and lots of, like, old news footage and um, just, like, crazy archival stuff that's... Uh, the, the, he's he's got on the channel there, uh, along with reviews of all the movies. They've been kind of slowly going through them, like we have, and doing like actual review reviews. But yeah, I, f- I felt like kind of like we hadn't like really mentioned that very much over like eight episodes. And yeah, t- yeah, Tony's like what Tony's he's been like involved. one of our biggest fans. Yeah, he's been he's been involved um, on the podcast under the stairs page for a while. I can't remember if he came over from finding doing the nasty or if he just found podcasts under the stairs but he's an active member of that page yeah genuinely bloody nice bloke um has participated in a few different things on my other shows uh, whether it's sending in like uh, like movie reviews for like movie club or sending in audio stuff as well um but yeah the amount of work he puts into his youtube content is pretty fucking daunting and if you want if you want a bit a bit more of a headier and more in-depth conversation into the banning check him out don't check us out because <laughs> we we are we are literally giggling at hooks going through eyes um yep. and the fact that Demi Moore's butts and parasite maybe um <laughs> like that is that is the level that you're getting here um there's a reason that we're called doing the nasty. <laughs> it's because <laughs> we're kind of just having fun with it. And Tony is definitely taking like the more academic, like, and that's not to say that like the stuff he puts it up is so like, much fun. A lot of fun. It's so much fun his stuff. So yeah, go and go and show him a bit of love um, for sure, um, because he shows us love, and it's good to give and receive. Don't be a greedy lover. Uh, no, yep, no. There's, there's room enough for for two video nasty uh, type shows out in the world, and Tony's is really fucking good. Yeah. So yeah, definitely go check him out and give him some love. Nice, nice. Uh, as always, check out the shows on the Teapots Collective. We have Opera Omnia, which is a just finishing season one actually on Ben Wheatley, about to kick in with season two. Uh, I've announced some details on that. I'll be joined by Richard Glenn Schmidt of Hello, This Is The Doom Show uh, for the next four episodes in season two, looking at Peter Strickland, who is hands down, beside Ben Wheatley, one of my all-time favourite directors. So I'm really looking forward to that. And I actually think um, Richard hasn't seen many of those movies of the four that he's released and I think I'm about to blow his tiny little mind um, ah, badass because the stuff's fucking it's, it's so Richard's scene um, so yeah we're doing that in season two uh, Chronicle is very close to finishing season three uh, closing out our look at Folk Horror only two movies left in that series the next episode that will drop so will be uh, on The Borderlands uh, modern found footage movie which I know Mark has seen uh, oh yeah that's a fucking great movie so yeah we're doing we're doing that one um, and over on where to begin with Jallo we are continuing our, our recommendation list uh, for where you can acclimate yourself with the subgenre that is 
Jello. We've just dropped an episode um, by the time this one drops, uh, covering the House with Laughing Windows, which is a lesser seen but fucking incredible Jello. So, um, yeah, uh, there's all that stuff happening. And Mark is also featured on the summer series on the podcast under the stairs. So show some love to that as well. There. Yeah. Oh, there we are. Right. Well, ladies and gents, we are going to take our leave of you right now uh, we will be back in one month's time for the erotic rites of Frankenstein and Parasite on episode number 9 of Doing the Nasty but until the next time uh, take care they were called nasties and they were nasty some of the things that we've seen are so horrific these films not only affect young people but I believe they affect adults as well an extravaganza of gory violence, capable of depraving and corrupting those who watched it. I have never seen the video, Mister. I wouldn't. I actually don't need to see what I know is in that film.